Today's episode of the Crawford Talks is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome to another episode of the Crawford Talks. Hope everyone out there is staying safe, staying inside, uh, doing your part to uh, keep a, a social distance. Um, Mike, how are you doing today? Jake, I'm doing well. It's the start of a new week. Uh, I am feeling more optimistic this week. It, it is Monday and I am looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, I hope... Uh, Hope this this podcast and us talking baseball twice a week has has provided some sort of distraction for everyone out there uh, through this this terrible time we're going through. Um, you know the Bill Brown podcast last week. A lot of people really seem to like that. That was that was fun a fun conversation we had. So I uh, hope everyone enjoyed that. Today we're going to talk about a few different topics. Um, you know that that kind of struck us as interesting. First off. We were we were kind of just talking off air about the idea <laughs> of a shortened season. Hopefully there is one. Hopefully the entire season isn't wiped out by this. And ultimately, if there is a shortened season, you know, regardless of how many games it is, does it ultimately help or hurt the Astros? Uh, Mike, what do you think about that topic? I, I think it helps. And I think it helps from a number of ways, but I'll start with what I think is my strongest point. So... Heading into the season as we thought it was going to be, let's say, late February, March 1st, we all knew, Jake, that the biggest issue the Astros were going to have was dealing with the mental strain of the after effects of the sign-stealing scandal. And I think we were all wondering, well, what is it going to be like on the road for this baseball team? What is it going to be like to mentally get through this season? You know, I remember in the first episode we did, which you guys can check out from about uh, a month or so ago, maybe five, six weeks, you had mentioned that particularly the first week the Astros were back at spring training, that Jose Altuve was a guy who seemed like he really kind of wore on his face the the the, the, the stress or just, just the emotions of what was going on at that time. And... So there are a couple things here with a shortened season. One is, you know, when they play on the road, there's a real there's a good chance that there are no fans in the stands for that. But but even if they were, I think what this is probably provided to those guys. I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. Somebody on this Astros team who was also on the 2017 team. I'm imagining in November, in January, in February, like this is the worst, one of the worst things imaginable, other than getting cancer or somebody in their family dying or getting some horrible illness, something along those lines. Just the sign stealing, what kind of impact it's going to have on the team they were on, on their careers, legacy, the stain, all that kind of stuff. What's it going to be like on the road? What happens when they go through a slump and people start criticizing them nationally? Is this team actually that good? 
And I'm imagining that if you're Jose Altuve or George Springer or anybody else who played on that team, whatever your emotions were, you certainly had them to, to a large extent in February of 2020. And now imagining like they've now they've seen that, hey, the season could be wiped out or this could be a shortened season that, you know what, what I, I, I think if I was one of those guys, Jake, I'd feel like, man, I don't care what anybody thinks. What I want to do right now more than anything else is to play baseball because that's something that a lot of people probably for good reason take for granted. And now that's been taken away. So I think where a shortened season would help them the most is dealing with the mental stuff, which I think would have been a major issue if things were going just as is. Yeah, I guess I think that's a strong point. I think I guess my part, my counter would be how long does that mindset last? Um, you know, we don't. First of all, we don't know how long this is going to last. This this absence, this hiatus is going to last. Obviously, so um, the longer it lasts, the the shorter the season, obviously, and probably the longer um, the perspective of it lasts in someone's mind. Um, you know, I, I don't. Life's not going to be normal after this for any of us. Um, you know, by any means, this is probably a, a new normal, unfortunately. But um, you know, I, I think the the question I would have is how long is that perspective fresh in your mind if if you're two months into the season. Say they start July fifteenth, and you're it's now September first, and this is and you're getting booed everywhere. Are you still thinking about that dynamic, or has that kind of in your mind um, been been clouded out by the fresher stuff, which is what's going on now? So I think that would be my counter to that, um, and I, I don't think there's any way we can predict. Obviously, what you know, and, and every player you know, handles this stuff differently, uh, internalizes yeah. it differently. I think we'd have to obviously climb into their minds right. to figure out what the, what the answer is, which is impossible. But I'm, I'm just thinking of the way that humans are. Right. And I think this is something that, Jake, uh, you tell me if this is going too far. I think all of us will be able to relate to this at some point because, you know, at some point we'll open up society probably in stages more than, you know, all at once. And so I think we'll have to deal with that too because, you know, though there, there will come a period where, you know, you or I, you and I are out like getting beers or going to a restaurant. Like th th that point will come at some point, right? I and so, so I, I, yeah, and I imagine the first time that happens, I think a lot of people are going to be like really appreciative of just being able to do that again, but we are humans and you wonder like, how long does that feeling last? I think in this case, I think that feeling could actually last a while for a lot of us. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, this is obviously something we've never lived through before, any of us. So it's, you know, it, it it's something we'll never forget. Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be, I'm really curious to see how it, how it, and this is even beyond, well beyond sports, like how it, um, if it changes our behaviors in any way, um, like, yeah, obviously I washed my hands a lot before, but you know, I've been washing them an excessive amount the last month. Will that continue? Will, will I high five people again? Um, you know, will it, will I, um, go out more? Will I stay in more? Like, I, I don't know how it's going to impact, uh, you know, how we behave just on a day to day level, which you know, obviously is not, um, you know, relevant to the Astros, but just something I've been thinking about. I, I think we're all wondering the same thing. Well, let me ask you this about, about the sign stealing scandal. 
do you have a feeling, you know, we're three weeks, three and a half weeks into the country really taking it seriously. Um, do you have any feeling for how these last three and a half weeks have impacted how people think of the sign stealing scandal? Have they forgotten? Have they not forgotten whatsoever? Do you have a feel on that one? Not really. Um, I've been trying to spend less time on Twitter during this period. Um, Boy, that's admirable. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there doesn't seem to be much that I can learn on there right now. So, um, so no, not really. And also Twitter is not really indicative of, of how most of the population feels about something. So, no, I, I don't really have a feel for it. I, I think um, even talking about it right now is, is weird just because of everything going on. But, um, no, I, I don't really, you know, I think everyone's just distracted by the obvious and, um, you know, I, I don't even know if distraction is the right word, you know, like we're, we're consumed by the obvious thing that's impacting all of our lives. So I haven't really gotten a feel for that. Um, you know, if there is a shortened season, um, I guess you could argue that, you know, obviously the Verland, Justin Verlander, Jordan Alvarez uncertainty for March, March 26th is now out the window and they presumably would be healthy yes. for um, whenever opening day is. Although with Alvarez, you know, the knee thing sounds like it's going to be an off and on thing. Um, McCuller, Lance McCullers and Jose Arquiti were set to have a lot of uncertainty about their workload. So now you, with it's more of a sprint rather than a marathon that would presumably help those guys pitch a whole season. Um, but I, I could actually yeah. make an argument that a shortened season overall would hurt the Astros more than help them because of depth. Now, over depth manifests itself over a long season and definitely the Astros do not have as much depth as they had in 2017, 2018, 2019, um, especially on the pitching side, but they do still have a ton of depth on the position player side. And that really helps you over an 162 game season withstand injuries and slumps and um, really anything that's thrown your way. So I think, the impact of that is lessened by a shortened season. And, you know, there's still teams that have more depth than them, like the Dodgers and the Yankees. But, you know, the Astros do have still a lot of depth on the position player side. Yeah, so here's where I'm at on this part, because my my theory, and I've thought this for a few weeks, is if we have a shortened season, and part of it would be kind of a picking a number, because when I first thought this, Jake, I was thinking about 100. Now that might be might be 60, might be 80, somewhere like that. But one of my thoughts was, okay, from an injury standpoint, well, especially if we kind of stick to the rotation, over, let's say, a normal season, over 162, if you ask me for scenarios where the A's beat out the Astros and win the American League West, I, for me, that would... That kind of scenario would be along the lines of the Astros starting off a season with Verlander hurt, missing a month, missing six weeks, and having to have you know having to have you know who knows who as your fifth as your fifth starter in in the rotation, and then sustaining injuries to the rotation over the course of the season, and then the A's have their guys stay healthy in the rotation, and probably more importantly, some of the younger guys kind of realize their potential. And so with a shortened season, let's say over 80 games or so, all of a sudden, two of the more critical parts of the rotation, Lance McCullers and Jose Urquidy at three and four, all of a sudden, 
I don't have to worry about innings on those guys. I can throw them out every fifth day. I'm not concerned whatsoever about three and four. And then some of the things that you and I were talking about about a month ago, I don't have to think, okay, you know what? It's 162. Justin Verlander and Zach Greinke are not allowed to get hurt. They've got to pitch 200 innings. Well, no, all of a sudden, like you're, if you're trying to complete 80 games or so, then I'm not worried about the guys who are one and two with that massive workload. And then three and four, I don't have to worry about innings limits. Yeah, that's fair. I, I also think we don't know, like say the season had started on time and Verlander, you know, maybe hadn't gotten that groin operation. Like it's, it's reasonable. True. He might've missed only two starts, right? Like we don't know maybe one start, maybe three starts, but like, well then, but then on the flip side, <laughs> then he's operating with a, possibly not 100% groin, which may have affected his performance as well. True, true. Um, I, I think every like every team had injuries they were dealing with um, to an extent. Um, so that argument kind of, I don't know if it's negated, but it's like, it's it, it, goes, it, it fits every team, that part of the argument. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think like also like Greinke's pretty reliable to go 200 innings and... How many teams have that guy? Um, Verlander's, you know, went healthy, reliable to go 200 plus innings. Like, I think over, like we, I think we we take that for granted. Like how valuable a 200 inning pitcher is now over a 162, 162 game season. Um, and now yeah. in a shortened season scenario, you're just going to have a lot more pitchers who can pitch a full season. So I think in some ways it lessens the value of a theoretical you know 200 inning guy um i have another i have another argument and, and this is it's kind of similar but it's not exactly the same as the pitching staff and the injuries and, and the health but but it's very it's closely related so in the lineup and you think about the last three seasons I, i'm assuming jake that the astros have played more games than any other organization uh, games that count the last three years combined. It would be, I guess, them and the Dodgers, Dodgers right? Yeah. Just because, yeah. So between those organizations, like you've had, you've had an extra basically month or so. I mean, the Astros, they're only one one series shy of playing almost as many games as possible. And so, with a shortened season, you've gotten extra just general rest for the. Yuli Gurriel's, the Altuve's of the world, who the Springers of the world, who have played, you know, a lot of games the last three years combined. And I also think with a shortened season, uh, this could be a double-edged sword, but I'm just going to be a little bit glass half full. The Astros have some guys in the lineup where, are these guys going to play 150 games? Guys like Carlos Correa, maybe it's easier for them to stay healthy over a shortened time span. Maybe, but also that one injury has a much bigger impact because... Yeah, and that, yeah that's why it's double-sided, basically. Yeah, yeah, there's less uh, time to, to make it back. I, on the flip side, I think it's easy to argue that a canceled season, um, a canceled 2020, would hurt the Astros maybe as much as any other team. I mean, the Dodgers would have the whole Mookie Betts trading for Mookie Betts without having getting a single game out of Mookie Betts dynamic. But yep. but they would still have a chance to re-sign him. Um, you know, I, I think they would probably be the, the top candidate for this list. But let's talk AL. I mean, I don't know if a canceled season hurts any other team more. Um, you know, the 2020 team was set to be not the last chance 
for the Astros to win another World Series with this group, but the last best chance because George mm-hmm. Springer is a free agent, uh, Michael Brantley and Yuli Gurriel are free agents, so uh, and everyone else is a year older. So um, I think that would be an easy argument. Yeah, that one I wish I could disagree with, but yes, I think having a canceled season would be devastating from that standpoint. I don't, I don't think that's that's stating it too strongly. I, I think this would, if everything was normal, would be the Astros like their last best chance to win a World Series, and then you'd be relying on having you know a pretty solid team that kind of sneaks into the playoffs, gets a little bit of luck, and winning a World Series that way. But yes, if, if the season were to be canceled, then all of a sudden, I mean, the odds are that we've seen the last of Yuli, that we've seen the last of Michael Brantley, possibly slash likely George Springer, and then it would create this whole fascinating dynamic of like, well, let's say you start up again in 2021, uh, is there the same kind of pressure on that team to win be, uh, in relation to the sign stealing scandal? Because everybody with a brain at least would know, hey, this is not the same team that you saw in 2017, 2018, 2019. Do you have a thought on that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it would be different because at that point, say all the free agents are gone. Yeah, The only 2017 players left are Correa for one more year. Position players, at least. Correa, Bregman, and Altuve. Um, so, yeah, yep. I think I think it would be different. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, it's tough to really predict fan reaction ahead of time um, through such an unprecedented time um, that we're going through right now. Like, I, I, it's, you know, as hard as it is, as it is to guess how fans are going to um, – you know, react to the Astros in 2020, it's even harder for 2021. So, of course, we all just have to wait and see. Um, you know, I think everyone's going to start guessing on how long a season's going to be and when it's going to start. But honestly, I'm taking all of it with a grain of salt. I don't think we, we can even have any way of knowing if there's going to be a season or when it's going to start at this point. As we speak on April 6th, there's just too much unknown still. And, uh, I think we all just have to wait and see. Now, another interesting thing that's happened over the last couple of days is we heard for the first time, Jake, from a member of the 2017 Houston Astros, Evan Gaddis, who was on 755 is Real. It is the Braves podcast on The Athletic, and it's with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. So plug for them. They uh, So they did two parts with Evan Gaddis, so I encourage you guys to check it out if you have some time, and the parts that we're going to play are specifically from part two of that podcast. It was it was long. I think it was a couple hours they spent uh, with Evan Gaddis, and so all the relevant stuff for us was in part two, talking about the sign-stealing scandal, and Evan Gaddis discussed what the Astros were thinking in 2017. We didn't look at our moral compass and say, yeah, this is right. It was almost like paranoia warfare or something. But what we did was wrong. Like, don't get it twisted. It was wrong for the nature of competition, not even just baseball. Yeah. Yeah, that was wrong. I I will say that. And some players that we face that I've never faced before and something like that, even selfishly, we we didn't even get to find out how good certain people are. And uh, they didn't either. And I think that was one cool thing about playing in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Or make it just to find out. Everybody wants to be the best player in the world, man. But, like, 
to find out how good you are, I think is valuable. Yeah, that didn't, we cheated that for sure. And we, you know, obviously cheated baseball. That last part is something, Jake, that I don't think a lot of Astros who were on the 2017 team really talked about much during the apologies in February. The impact on other players, younger pitchers, not even from a team-to-team standpoint, but just like individual players who were uh, the victims of the sign-stealing scandal. So I, I am glad that Gaddis, and he mentioned it a few times during that interview, brought up that, I guess, angle to it. Tournaments have been canceled. Leagues are suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's barely been more than a week. There's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange, very uncertain times, they are still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories. Like the one about Brazilian soccer legend Ronaldinho being in a Paraguayan jail right now. Or how the situation between Todd Gurley and the Rams was beyond repair. Or how minor league baseball players are getting financial support from their big league counterparts. It's during times like these that The Athletic can help keep you connected to the teams, the athletes, and the sports you love. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash Crawford Talks, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us all to sports, those don't go, go away. So go to theathletic.com slash Crawford Talks for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Yeah, I mean, Mike Fires brought that up um, back in the original comments uh, about why he was speaking about it. Um, yeah, it, it is. I mean, you wonder why they couldn't have thought of that while it was happening. Um, you know, it, it seems like something that would have crossed your mind in the moment too, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, it's, it's still hard to square like what they were actually thinking at the moment that the mental gymnastics that got them to the point where they thought it was, uh, okay to cheat. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was interesting to hear from Gattis for the first time. Um, but you know, I, I, and and his, I thought his comments were, were, genuine um but they were definitely genuine but yeah it's it's just i still don't really know if i understand it better than i did before you know well here is gaddis on apologies because there's always going to be the question with something as as big of a story as this has been you know what is a quote good enough apology here's gaddis with his thoughts on that i'm not asking for sympathy or anything like that like if our punishment is being hated by everybody forever I guess, like, whatever, like, I mean, and I don't know what should be done, but something had to be done, and I do agree with that big time, but I do think it's good for baseball that, you know, we're cleaning it up, but I really don't, I still, to this day, I thought about it a f***ing time, you know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And I just don't, I still don't know how to feel, and... I know I'll get ripped by somebody. Like, that's not an apology. And if I did apologize, it's still not going to be good enough. And, it, and no, it's not going to be good enough. Yeah. Like, I understand that it's not good enough to say sorry. I get it. So I, I felt uh, that was kind of a relatable quote. Obviously, a lot of emotion that went into what Gaddis said right there. And Jake, I, I don't know what I would tell those guys. Like, I, I do not think in a story like this, 
with how big it became. I don't think there really is a perfect apology that you can make. I think about, you know, Andy Pettit, who probably had the best apology I've seen in sports um, with the HGH stuff back, you know, 10, 12 years ago, probably even longer. Uh, I don't I, I don't know that that would have been possible to accomplish in this situation. No, probably not. But would the apology component of this whole story have gotten nearly as much attention as it did if they had not waited five weeks to do it? Say they had apologized January 15th, I think. And even if they weren't, the apologies weren't deemed good enough, quote unquote. I think that whole narrative like is way different. Um, that whole component of the story had a lot to do with them just not saying anything for a month. Um, that's kind of every time I think about the apology part of it, that's that's what I come back to. Um, but he's right. I mean, yeah, you-, you know, and he's right to say that he shouldn't be asking for any sympathy and he's, he's not. Um because I don't think anyone's going to be sympathetic. But, um, yeah, his comments struck me as very, very raw, very real. Um, you know, I, I, I thought it was, you know, he has he seems to, as he said, be thinking about it a ton. Evan Gaddis on the 755 is Real podcast, the Braves podcast on The Athletic. There's been a lot of analysis about, okay, well, how could this how could something like this go on in 2017? Here's Gaddis explaining that nobody really made them do anything that year. Nobody made us do Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like people saying, oh, this guy made us, this guy made us. That's not it. But you have to understand the situation was powerful. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, you work your whole life to try to hit a ball. And uh, you mean you could tell me what's coming? I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, uh, it's a powerful thing. And there's millions of dollars on the line. And that's also right. the that's where bad of it, too. That's why that's where people got hurt. And that's not right. That's not playing yeah. the game right. Um. Okay. What, one thought I had in listening to this and hearing Evan Gaddis. So let me push a little bit on this part. I want to get your take on this, Jake. Like when I, one of the things that really swayed me about, I mean, gosh, now it's like two months ago when we're going through all this, but like once we got to that Friday and Cody Bellinger was really critical of Altuve, I kept thinking to myself, like if you read the commissioner's report, the key date in all of that was September 15th. So, for as bad as everything that happened in 2017, isn't it essentially true that if they had stopped doing everything they were doing in, in September of in, in September on the 15th, then either none of this would have come out or they would have been they would have been scot free as far as Major League Baseball was concerned? Yeah, I mean, well, that's ignoring the 2018 part. That is far less egregious from what we understand. But well, yes, like if they had just stopped everything on September 15, 2017. Yeah, yeah, I think then they're they're fine. I mean, obviously, if this had still come out, there's a lot of um, it's still messed up, and there's a lot of people angry that they did it at all. But in terms of like the actual rule breaking, that memo in September from Rob Manfred was when he really put teams on notice and laid down the law. So yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, but they still kept doing it. So, um, yeah, it's, it, 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 I think you're right though. I think your, your general point to me, uh, seems accurate. 
Here's Evan Gaddis, who still lives in the Houston area on the World Series and, and how he reflects on winning that championship and how it's been tainted since that point. Don't get me wrong. I'm very happy we won the World Series. The parade was incredible. It was a great time for Houston after yeah. Harvey and all his and to yeah. see one million people in the street. Don't get me wrong. All these experiences were excellent. And just, I was floored. But once that all fades, now it's kind of different. It's like, okay, you, you know, okay, that happened and we cheated. Okay, yeah. yes. It's not, like, I'm not, you can't feel that good about it. You know what I mean? It's got to be hard to reconcile it, huh? I mean, it's like, should be the greatest moment of your career, but it's so tempered by... As I grow up, as I grow up dude, this is still, this is a story now. This is going to be a story next year. This is going to be a story in a yeah. decade yeah. and longer. So I'm interesting to see how I'll feel about it, even as time goes on. I, I just know for myself, like, there are certain things which will really get me worked up. For example, steroids in baseball, like the Mitchell Report in, in 06. Like, for me, when I was in college, that was, like, the biggest deal in the world. I was all into that thing. And then, like, five, ten years later, I'm like, eh, who cares? Put them all in the Hall of Fame, whatever. I mean, that's just that was kind of my natural, like, that's, that's how things kind of flowed for me. And sometimes I feel like that with these, like, dirty college basketball or, or football coaches. Uh, and I'm still amazed that some of these guys still have their jobs. But like over time, for me at least, that kind of stuff fades away because eventually I'm like, eh, whatever. That that's kind of how I feel about things. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's if I were to poll the 20 year old Jake Kaplan on, on his opinions, they'd probably be way different than the 30 year old version. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think you know it, it's Gaddis has a unique perspective because he's done playing, or so he says. Um, and I thought it was interesting in the immediate fallout of the of the apologies and all that. Everyone kept asking, all like the the TV news media kept asking like Astros people if it was tainted, if the World Series was tainted, um, which it is by definition of the word tainted, um, and expecting a different answer. The guys who are still on the team are not going to admit that it's tainted, right? Like, and the guys who are still affiliated with the team, like that's just not, that's not going to happen. So asking the questions kind of like. A worthless exercise in my opinion but a guy who's retired like Gaddis uh is speaking more freely about it and yes he had acknowledged that you, how do you look at it the same basically so um it is by definition tainted there's no argument to the contrary so I thought it was um unique perspective to hear someone removed from the game who's not tied to the clubhouse um you know culture part of it where Everyone has to say the same thing and, and um, you know, kind of have the same story, it seems like. So I thought that um, that was interesting to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I do have one. I do have one other point I, I would make about this. And I told you this on the phone last night um, when we were talking about this. I, I can relate to the whole situation in that. And this is not me. And you'll probably disagree with this, Jake, which is totally fine. Um I can put myself in the shoes of an of an Evan Gaddis, and what I'm about to say is not some defense of the 2017 Astros. It's just my own just interpretation of the world and baseball. I do think baseball culturally has been a sport where, like, 
getting to that line and, and pushing that edge has always been a thing for the last 100 and 150 years. I don't think what happened in 2017 was completely unprecedented just in the annals of baseball. And I, I also think that there are probably teams that have done things that would be considered very wrong that we just don't know about because there was no Mike Fires. And so I can put myself in the shoes of an Evan Gaddis. I mean, if Mike Meltzer was on the 2017 Astros, if you put me in like a Derek Fisher sort of role and I had that kind of, kind of talent and you're saying, what would I have done? Would I have like stopped it? There's no way I would have stopped that. Like I, I, just knowing myself, and I think I'm like a, a decent, a halfway decent human being. I could see how in a group situation, how if something is going wrong, it is hard to like stop a ball rolling down the mountain once it kind of gets started. So that's my kind of last point on it. If and obviously go ahead and you can respond to that. I'm just I'm just still thinking about your Derek Fisher comp, and you didn't really strike me as the pinch runner type <laughs> or the fast guy. Yeah, I was I'm not that fast. More, yeah. Hmm. Who was I going to comp you to more? I don't know. But no, I, you kind of lost me. Now, now I'm a little bit nervous. Comp. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it's, it's, I think you're shortchanging yourself. I think uh, you would have done the right thing. But I, I don't know. Uh, we don't know. But um, yeah, I, I, one thing that was interesting to me is like, or continues to be interesting to me is like the differing, and maybe this is just me from the outside uh, of this interview looking in. Like the differing tones surrounding the members of the 2017 Astros. Like it seems like the players who are no longer on the team seem to be getting a cut a good bit more slack than those still on the team, even though they were all on the 2017 team during the cheating in question. And I think it's something that's going to yes. continue that we the monitor, you know, like the guys. Um, like it seems like Marwin Gonzalez, for example, has it a lot easier than Jose Altuve right now. Um, when in during spring training, um, yes, I, Jake Marisic was getting booed in some of the Mets games, but I don't know how many other other former 2017 Astros, um, you know, were getting that treatment. Like guy like JD Davis, who played very little for the 2017 Astros, um, he's still connected to that team, but it seems like he gets a. a not a pass, but it's, I don't know. There just seems to be different tones around, uh, around the, the various players and members of that team based on where they are now, which I, I just think is interesting. It is interesting, but my last point of this, my, my, this is truly my last point. My favorite hypothetical is this would never happen, but like what the hell the reaction would have been like, Jake, if the Astros had had in like the middle of February been like, you know what, screw it, and traded out Tuve to the Yankees just to see how the Yankee fans would have reacted to having him on their team in the middle of February. Yeah, that's an interesting um, hypothetical that would never happen. But yeah, <laughs> hey, uh, I think a lot of it just is is reacting to the the laundry, right? That the actual jersey, oh yeah, rather than the actual players, um, which is unfortunate for the Astros players who came after 2017, the Miles Straws of the world, um, who had no part of this, um, and and you know that's just part of. Fans being fans, but uh, it's I don't know. It's just something that strikes has struck me as interesting since February, um, and and you know once baseball's back, um, you know I assume it'll it'll there'll probably be some more of that.
One other story we wanted to bring up as well here on the Crawford Talks is the news that came down late last week, Jake. I know this was not a surprise to you. It, w- it was not to me, but I saw in some corners of the sports media conglomerate, uh, the sports media industrial complex, that it bothered some people that I saw nationally. And that was uh, Buster Olney's report from ESPN that if there is no baseball season this year, no baseball played in 2020, the suspensions of A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luna will be deemed fulfilled. They were obviously given one-year bans. Jim Crane subsequently fired them. If there is no season, they would be eligible to be you know, rehired. They are eligible to be, to be in baseball in 2021. Uh, this makes complete sense to me. It's completely logical. It's totally consistent. I mean, the guys with suspensions for performance-enhancing drugs or domestic violence, they have the same exact thing applied to them, so I don't think you can... You can uh, like bifurcate the way you treat different kinds of suspensions. And I also think, Jake, for the same spirit of if there is no season, Mookie Betts, George Springer, JT Real Muto, those kind of guys, they're going to get the same service time they got in 2019. I think the same spirit behind that ultimate resolution of the negotiation between the league and the union is the same spirit behind something like this. I think this makes complete sense, even if it bothers people. And even if Rob Manfred had somehow known there was going to be no 2020 season, like I don't think they were going to be able to keep these guys out for two years. I think having these suspensions fulfilled after 2020, no matter if there are or are not games played makes total sense. Yeah. For me, um, you know, I kind of assumed that was the case, and the reaction to that news was more just like, yeah, of course. Um, the terms of the suspension were that it would be through the 2020 season, um, so I don't think they would retroactively change that because of the coronavirus. Um, you know, it's not like they are still, it's not like they are not being punished uh, if there's no 2020 season. Um you know, maybe you could argue it's not harsh enough, but, you know, they aren't getting paid this year. Uh, the damage to, um, you know, the self-inflicted damage, of course, but but the damage to their reputations um, and their standing in the game are great, you know, greater than the suspension itself, I would argue. Um, Agreed. And also... If there is no 2020 season, there there's not going to be that many job openings theoretically because teams, you know, all the GMs and managers who might have been on the hot seat aren't. There's not going to be much of a reason for them to have been on the hot seat in in a season that doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, for me, like you know, I'm I'm happy uh, Buster confirmed that so we know for sure because people were curious about it. But um, you know, I think it would have to expect anything but this outcome. Uh, seemed a little silly. I agree with you. And and obviously, this is something that we will uh, be tracking over the course of the year. It was not surprising news from, I think, either of our standpoints. Let's finish up here. So obviously, a lot of us have, well, more free time, especially during the week and on uh, the weekends, what we're watching. Uh, So Jake, I finished the morning show on Apple TV. This is a show that you would watch back in what, like the fall? I think that's when it came out. Yeah, I think I watched it like on flights to playoff games, if I remember. Okay, yeah. so okay, got it. So I, I'm clearly behind on on that show. Uh, I I enjoyed it. It's it's probably it's not it's probably not like. Uh, 
extremely high class television, but I, it was, it, it got me through last week. I was watching, I was like pounding through like two or three episodes per day. And I'm assuming there is a second season to this. It's basically uh, for people who don't know, it's on Apple TV. And so if you have an Apple TV, it's free. And basically it's kind of like the, it, they're doing a show about like the, the today show. Like there's like whole, a whole Matt Lauer character. It's with uh, Steve Carell and Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. So they have like obviously really big names in it. Um, and I, I've enjoyed it. If there is a second season, which I think there will be, I will watch the second season. Yeah, I will too. I don't think it's necessarily a quote unquote good show, but it's enjoyable and um, has some interesting um, topic covers, interesting topics, uh, important topics. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, ha I watched it way back when, so I'm trying to like recall it in my mind. I don't remember all of it. Um, but yeah, I I'm glad you, you liked it. Uh, I haven't been watching a ton to be honest with you. I've been, more reading um, than watching. Um, you know, maybe when there's more movies that drop on on video on demand, I will delve into those. But I haven't really bit the bullet on the, the $20 uh, rentals of the movies that would have been in theaters now. Um, yeah. What what the hell is with that price point? I saw that Saturday. Like, what if I go to the theater, it's not going to be it, it's not going to be $20. Like, I, I know it's close I to guess it. it's different because. <laughs> Yeah, it's close, it, it, but like I'm, I, I have I have a Costco membership, a free plug for them, and so like if you go to Costco, like they have the the discounted movie ticket, so I think it's around like eight or ten bucks. But like, and I guess they're what they're doing is they're pricing in obviously people watching with their families and such. Uh, but for me, for you and I, Jake, people who live you know these solitary lives, it doesn't make sense to pay twenty dollars to see a movie. So I would pay twenty dollars to rent a movie I wanted to watch. Um... Like if they had thrown the new James Bond movie on there, for example, I would totally, I would probably spend more than $20 uh, or Top Gun 2 <laughs> or um, a few was others like, that are coming out this year. No, Knowing you over the last couple months, I feel like if Jay Kaplan is spending 20 bucks on a movie, it's got to be like 1917 or Parasite. It's got to be high yeah. art. And then you're spending that money. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I, there's a few that I would like that have come out that I would watch if they were five bucks, but I don't really have enough interest to watch them at 20. Um, yeah. But I'm, I mean, depending on how long this lasts, we're going to get to the point where there's more movies coming out that way. This part of the year is usually the weak part of the year for new movies anyway. So um, probably not the best judge of like, which you, what, you know, what that price point is and, and, you know, whether you would spend it or not. Have you seen Tiger King on Netflix yet? I am the only person on the planet who has not watched Tiger King. I saw the first episode Saturday, but I can't really tell you that I saw Jake because I actually fell asleep. <laughs> like I, I've not, heard that the first one's slow. Is that yeah, is that what happened? It's it's a little slow. It's not that weird in the, in the first one. People talk about how weird it gets. It's not that weird yet uh, to me, at least. I mean, it's bizarre these people are keeping these 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 kind of animals in, in, anywhere. Uh, but and I didn't like. It's not like I watched thirty minutes and I like I like fell asleep and then woke up and it was over. It was more like I was kind of drifting in and out. And so I'm debating. I'm like. You know, I think I've gotten a sense for it. Do I need to go back and watch the whole thing or do I just move on to episode two with a cup of coffee in hand to make sure I'm like geared in? I'm probably leaning towards the latter. 
<laughs> yeah, it sounds like you should. I think I don't think you'll uh, miss based on what I've heard about the show. I think you'll be able to pick up on what's going on, uh, or maybe not. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm holding out. I feel like I missed I missed the moment. You know, it, it was last week. It was the week before. I feel like I'm late, and it's just I, I missed it. <laughs> well, I don't know if Jake has missed the moment or not. I, I have a feeling with what, what we're going on, what's happening right now, I feel like this has some staying power for at least the next uh, month or so. So if I, assuming I finish this in the next like week and a half or so, I'll give you guys my full review. Make sure you guys check out The Athletic. Uh, Jake, you've had a couple of articles kind of going back uh, in the past, but the recent past and revisiting the Astros drafts in 2012 and 2013. Yeah, fun little exercise that I started late last week. Just, um, you know, you probably need four, three or four or five years to really judge a draft class. And we have that for most of the Jeff Luno era now. So I kind of wanted to go back into the recent past drafts and reevaluate them knowing what we know now. I started with 2012 uh, late last week, did 2013. That ran on Monday. Going to do 2014 and 2015 um, coming up. And then I have to decide if I'm going to keep going with, um, you know, the Ed Wade era or or just end it at 2015, depending on if people like it or not. Um, we'll see. Let me know if you do, if you want more. Um, but yeah, just, uh, you know, without obviously new games to dissect and, and, and analyze, um, you know, going back and, and revisiting some recent stuff that still... Um, has connections to the current Astros. He's Jay Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. This is the Crawford Talks and Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Make sure you guys subscribe to The Athletic right now. It is 90 days for free. It is tremendous content from an Astros standpoint, from a Major League Baseball and everything going on in the world of sports perspective. This is the Crawford Talks 